we're going to talk about worship. And when you think about it, you go, wait a minute, we've been talking about cool stuff like dinosaurs and DNA and carbon-14 and all this kind of arc and all these kind of things. What are we doing now talking about worship? I mean, isn't this a creation seminar? What, is, what does the book of Genesis have to do with worship? Now, my answer to you is simply this. It has everything to do with worship. What do we gather in this place to do? Worship. These are easy questions. I got, we gather to worship. Who do we gather to worship? God. Okay. If we're going to gather here to worship God, does it make sense or is it at least logical that we would want to know or understand something about this God? Sure. Okay. So we want to know something about this God we say we worship. How does God reveal himself to us? You mean there's some place I can go and read about God? Now, where is that again? I go to the Bible and I can read about God. Hmm. Well, let's try that. Let's see if we can find out something about God. John 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by him. What does all mean? All means all. These are real simple terms. All means all. All things were made by him. Okay, hang on to that thought. We're going to move on. Colossians 1, starting with verse 16. For by him were all things, what? Created. That are in heaven, that are in earth. Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things were created by him. Now, what does all mean again? Help me again here. All means all. This this is not a hard concept. All things were created by him. Do you think he thinks that's important? You You know what most churches will tell you? The cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. That may sound harsh, but guess what? If evolution's true, this is true. The problem is the church, when I say church, church in a global sense, the church has been taught to think like the world. The church has been evolutionized. I've had so many people in churches tell me, well, you know, I don't really have a problem with the Big Bang. I don't have a problem. Tommy, I don't have a problem with the Big Bang. You shouldn't have a problem with the Big Bang either. You know, I don't have a problem with the Big Bang as long as God did it. As long as God, I don't have any problem with the Big Bang as long as God did it. You know what that is? That's nonsense. I have all kinds of problems with the Big Bang. You know why? That's not what God said he did. If the Big Bang is true, first there was nothing, then it exploded. And all these particles, all these molecules, and all these things scattered through the universe, and the stars formed themselves, and the galaxies formed themselves, then our sun formed, and then the earth formed after that, which is in direct, you know, contradiction to what the Bible says, because the Bible says the earth came first, but nonetheless the sun formed, and the earth formed, and then biological evolution happened, and then we got here. We're a chemical accident. That's no way what God said he did. I don't have a problem with the Big Bang because God did it. You haven't thought it through. I have a problem with it because that's not what he said he did. The vast majority of churches, that's exactly what they accept. I don't have a problem as long as with the Big Bang as long as God did it. I don't have a problem with evolution as God had his hand in it. See, the problem is we're here to influence the world. In so many cases now, the world's influenced the church. This is what most people in most churches believe. 
First, there was nothing, then it exploded. Well, God put it there and then watched it explode. And then over the next, you know, four and a half bazillion years, the galaxies formed. And another five billion years later, the sun formed. And here we are, four and a half billion years after that. And here we are, meaning this. And ladies, I'm not letting you off the hook either, meaning this. We're just a cosmic accident. And if evolution's true, no matter what theologic spin you put on it, you've got some really interesting questions to answer because you are, in effect, a chemical accident. You are, in effect, Mother Nature's science project. And if that's the case, here's an interesting question that philosophers and our colleges and academic institutions have been trying to answer for years. You are, in effect, a chemical accident. So what is the nature of man? We are a curious accident in a backwater. We are, a just, a, we are just a bit of slime on the planet. Are you feeling better about yourself yet? Because it's going to get worse. I just, this, sorry, this is as good as it's going to get. This is really a downer after this. I've got a quote in one of my, in my files at the office that said, you know, what man is, man is just rearranged pond scum. We are a fortuitous cosmic afterthought, a tiny little twig on the enormously arborescent bush of life. Now, I really like that one. That was sort of flowery and poetic. I said, oh, Liz, I kind of like that one because, you, know, you know, man, we're a, we're, a, we're a twig on the bush of life. And she says, Tommy, it just means you rearranged pond scum. I'm not really good at poetry and that kind of stuff. So she said, it just means you're a chemical accident. There's a disconnect somehow. You've got to explain the nature of man. Well, we're just chemicals bouncing together. And here's Richard Dawkins, one of the most cheerful people you'll ever find. He said this, we live in a universe which has no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Wow. No evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. That guy'd be a blast to go have a pizza with, don't you think? <laughs> About the second slice of pepperoni, you'd be running down the interstate screaming. Ah, there's nothing but no evil, no good. How does he get out of bed in the morning? This man spends seemingly every waking hour hating on Christians, calling us names, saying if you raise your kids in a Christian home, it's like child abuse. It goes on and on and on and on. And he's also said, when I die, I'm just going to be gone. That's the end. That's the end. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to remember. So what's he mad at everybody for? You know, just, you know, go watch the ball game, get some popcorn, chill, and don't worry about it. But he spends all this time angry at Christians. And at the end, he's not really angry at Christians. You know who he's angry at? He's angry at God. He just gets to take it out on us. You know something? You are not a cosmic accident. I am not a cosmic accident. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are made in the image of the living God. Very first verse of scripture, God reveals one of his attributes. He reveals something about himself to us. In the beginning, God, what? Created the heaven and the earth. Now, do you think God thinks that's important? In the very first verse, he said, he's the one who created the heaven and the earth. The vast majority of Christians will tell you that's not true, or at least by their belief system indicate that's not true. 
Because if everything's just a cosmic accident, that's not true. If evolution's true, the God who said he's the one who created all things, you know what he is? And this is going to sound harsh, but it's true. If evolution's true, you know what God is? He's a liar. And I say that with all understanding of where I am. I'm in God's house. I am standing behind this pulpit. This is a fearsome place to stand. Because you know what the responsibility is of every person that stands back here? And I'm not worthy of that responsibility. That's not what I'm saying. But you know what the responsibility is of every person that stands behind this pulpit? You better divide that word right. You better treat that word with care. You better treat that word with respect. Because it's God's communication to man. He's the one who said he created all things. If the world's view of origins is right, the God we serve, the God we worship is a liar. Thus, he is not worthy of our worship. If that sounds harsh, I'm sorry. That's just the case. The God I serve is who he claims to be. He's the one who created all things. We are not chemical accidents. I'm going to tell you something that happens all too often. Because I speak to a lot of youth conferences and a lot of homeschool conferences. And I talk to all sorts of young people. And folks, if you older folks don't believe me, that's fine. Let me talk to your kids for two hours. If you've given up, let me at least talk to the kids. I have lots of young people come to me and they'll have their Bibles. And more that, that encourages me because they're at least in the Word. And we'll be sitting around talking or something. And they'll say, you know, Dr. Mitchell, I'm just struggling with something. I go, yeah, tell me what's going on, brother. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm reading this. And I hear what you're talking about. And I've, I've read what, what you know, AIG works with and I've read some stuff from Institute for Creation Research and I'm really struggling with this because I really understand that God's creator and I, I worship God and 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 I you know I understand where you're coming from that Genesis is history but you know my pastor he says you can believe in the millions of years and boy my pastor's a good guy. I love my pastor. My pastor's out soul winning we knock on doors and we're he's he, he's he's a soul winner and he's evangelist and he loves the Lord. And folks, lots of people are evolutionists do. Don't get me wrong. But these young people that come say, My pastor is such a great guy and I love him. He's a great Bible teacher, but he says you can just believe anything you want to about Genesis. It really doesn't matter. And you know, you can believe in the millions of years, but Dr. Mitchell, I see where you know where Genesis it sort of looks like it's real history, but my pastor says it's just sort of allegory. But Dr. Mitchell, I'm confused and I want to ask you something. He said, if Genesis 1-1 is, if I can't believe Genesis 1-1 is real history, why should I believe John 3-16? You know what I tell them? You just figured it out. Genesis is written as historical narrative. You know what else is written as historical narrative? That stone rolled away. I wasn't there to see it. I don't have it on videotape, but you know where it is? It's in God's communication to you and me. And guess what? If that stone didn't roll away, we can send out for pizza. We're done because we have no hope. I'm not an accident. You're not an accident. Genesis is real history. It's written as historical narrative, just like the Gospels are. But see, so many people in churches around the world say, well, you know, those scientists are pretty smart. And they are. Scientists put men on the moon and helped us build computers and new airplanes. And I thank God for scientists. I mean, I'm a scientist. I got 12 years of college. I understand all that. But, you know, they talk about scientists understand this about the past. and They've proven the millions of years. And we got to believe the millions of years. And we got to believe Richard Dawkins. We got to believe all those people who say that the millions of years are true. And we evolved in Genesis. You've got to reinterpret it because obviously the scientists say that just can't be. And, and I don't want to be unintellectual. I want, I want people to think I'm a learned person. So I'm going to agree with them because Genesis is, is, is myth. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to believe them there. But then I say, wait a minute. You know what those same scientists say? 
Those same scientists say people don't raise from the dead. I'm a professional physician. I have studied dead. You know what they taught me the first day of medical school? When you're dead, you're dead. Your job's to keep them from getting dead. But when you're dead, you're dead. That's what those same scientists say. You know, the same scientists say you've got to believe in the millions of years. will tell you that people don't raise from the dead. You know what Christians do? Well, I'm not going to believe them there. I believe Jesus rose from the dead, even though scientists tell you that doesn't happen. But, you know, I'm going to believe them over here, but I'm not going to believe them here. God's word says Jesus was born of a virgin. My wife's an obstetrician. You know what she'll tell you? In humans, that doesn't happen. That's what we're taught. It happened once. God's word says it. But guess what? You know what the secular scientists say? People don't, you know, virgins don't give birth. So you're going to, you know, well, I'm going to believe them there. I'm not going to believe them here. See, Christians are very inconsistent. You don't get to pick and choose. Hey, if they're right over there, why aren't they right here? I've studied dead. I was taught dead stays dead. I praise God that stone rolled away. Because that stone rolled away, I have hope. Because that stone rolled away, the God that we gather to serve and worship is worthy of our praise. Because he is the one who indeed created all things. But you know, like we said yesterday, the world seems to understand this and the church just doesn't get it. It becomes clear now the whole justification of Jesus' life and death is predicated on the existence of Adam and the forbidden fruit he and Eve ate. Without the original sin, who needs to be redeemed? Without Adam's fall to a life of constant sin terminated by death, what purpose is there to Christianity? None. This was written by an atheist. He points out to the church, church, you don't get it. Church, you're inconsistent. If the millions of years are true, if we evolve from ape-like creatures, Adam and Eve are a myth. If Adam and Eve are a myth, there's no original sin. If there's no original sin, why did Jesus go to the cross? And I'll say it again because somebody is sure to misinterpret what I'm saying. This is not a salvation issue. I'm not suggesting that. But what I'm saying to you directly is this. If the days in Genesis aren't ordinary days, I challenge you to bring me the New Testament and tell me why Jesus went to the cross. You've got a disconnect. Jesus is called the last Adam. That only makes sense if there's a first Adam. First Adam only makes sense if Genesis is real history. If evolution's true, Adam's a myth. And you know, I've seen so many Christians struggle so hard to try and twist the word of God out of almost every imaginable form to make it fit what they want to believe. And in God's word, we read about that. If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? You know, we struggle so hard to try and understand, you know, just try to somehow understand what God's grace is. And, and we understand justification and sanctification. And we strive to be like Christ and we hide God's word in our heart. And we struggle and you go, Lord, it might be more like Christ every day. And, and, we, and we try to understand these heavenly things and we str- and we should. But at the same time, we don't get the easy stuff. It's almost like God's telling us, wait a minute, you want to understand all these heavenly things? You don't get the simple stuff. I told you I created in six days. In Exodus 20, 11, I told you again, I created everything in six days. You don't get the simple stuff and you want to learn the hard stuff? Why don't you go back and get the simple stuff and then you come to see me? 
That's the easy part. I created in six days. Doesn't get any simpler than that. I'm the one who created all things. But we strive to sort of spiritualize and struggle with all this. We don't get the simple stuff. It's not that hard. I'll tell you a story, and this is true. This actually happened. I would like to have this on videotape because I was a part of it. I would like to sit back and be able to view this because I know it must have been comical. It's about three years ago or so, I guess, I was speaking at the museum. And after you speak in the special effects theater, you go over to the bookstore and some of the museum guests come and ask you questions. And that's great. I always have a good time doing that. But I spoke on, I can't remember what I even spoke on. And I was over in the museum and I had a line, I mean, in the bookstore, I, was, I had a line of people talking to me. And I saw this one young man just kind of standing off to the side. And he finally waited his turn. He came up to me. I said, how are you doing? He said, Dr. Mitchell, I just want to tell you, you are completely wrong in what you said today. I said, really? He said, Dr. Mitchell, I just want you to know, I'm from Paris, France. I said, yeah, I know you weren't from Alabama. And um, he said, well, Dr. Mitchell, you were just completely wrong about the Genesis. And I said, really? Why don't you explain to me? Well, Dr. Mitchell, you just completely don't understand the theology, and you believe in the young earth, and that's just completely in, just, just irresponsible to even be teaching people like that. And you just do not understand it all. You just do not understand the Genesis. And I said, well, young man, what is it I don't understand about the Genesis? I mean, here's Gomer Powell talking to, you know, Mr. Paris, France. That had to have been comical. I would pay three bucks to see that. So he starts, you know, sort of, let's just say, hollering at me. I guess that's what the French equivalent was. Anyway, his voice got kind of shrill, and I understood him less and less as time went on. But he was talking to me about, you just do not understand the theology of the Genesis. Now, I have a friend who's a great theologian, and he explains in great detail why you cannot possibly accept a young earth. You must believe in the millions of years. And he just shows you people that answers in Genesis. You just completely do not understand the Genesis. I do not even understand why you have this museum. This is totally discredited by good theology and good scientists. You just do not understand the Genesis. And I said, well, young man, why don't you explain to me what I don't get about the Genesis? He said, well, Dr. Mitchell, you would have to read the book by this famous theologian. It takes a very long time to really even understand the basis of this new theory and this new idea. And I don't think you were even capable of really understanding it because you've rejected all science and theology. And it would just take me too long to explain why you are wrong about the Genesis. This new theory, it is so wonderful, but it would take me a very long time to explain the theory to you. And I said, young man, let me explain something to you. He said, what do you want to say? I said, you're completely wrong. He said, what do you mean? I said, you do not understand the Genesis. (laughs) I said, young man, if you can't explain this idea or concept into me, just the basis of it, if you can't explain it to me in one minute, it's wrong. He said, what do you mean? I said, you do not understand the Genesis. Because it's going to take you 45 minutes to twist one chapter of the Word of God out of all recognizable form. I'm not interested in you or your theory. I'm standing on the Word of God. God said six days. That's what it means. Regardless of what you think about the Genesis. And then he wrote me off as a complete heretic and he walked away. Now, I would still like to have heard the conversation because he and I, that must have been some, you know, sort of accent war there. But the point is, this guy had a friend who'd written a book. It's going to take me hours to even basically understand how he twisted the word of God out of all recognizable form. Folks, if it takes that long, it's wrong. It's just that simple. I mean, we reject a lot of ideas and concepts. I mean, if it takes that long to explain it, just move on. The God I serve is who he claims to be. And throughout scripture, he keeps insisting we understand that. Ecclesiastes 12. Remember now. Who who is that? What's that word again? Creator. That keeps coming up, doesn't it? For thus saith the Lord that what? 
created the heavens. You see, we've got two accounts of origins. You got man's account, you got God's account. These two accounts do not agree. If one of them's right, the other one's what? Wrong. It's just directly that simple. And if man's account of origins is right, God is a liar. Because he didn't create all things. You know what? Everything basically created itself. It's a cosmic accident. We talked about this a little bit earlier. This is the seven seas of history. Creation, corruption, catastrophe, Christ, cross, consummation. We preach Christ, cross, and consummation. We're out preaching Christ to a lost and dying world. But you know some folks, you really cannot understand the meaning, the basis of the cross without understanding those first four seas. If you don't understand creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, how are you really going to understand Christ, cross, consummation? See, the issue is you can't be saved apart from history. You know where the gospel message begins? It begins in Genesis. See, we're out wanting to share the good news with people. You know what the problem is? Most people don't know there's any bad news. See, the bad news is we're lost. We need to be saved from our sin. The good news is Christ provides salvation from sin. And so many Christians accept evolution. They believe in evolution. They've got a problem when they go out to a lost and dying world and say, you need Christ. You know, you're a sinner in need of a savior because you know what the problem is? You know what the world says? Why am I a sinner? If you believe in evolution, you know what your answer is? Duh. Why? If we evolve from ape-like creatures, why are you sinners? Think about it. I'm just asking. I mean, if, if evolution is true, we evolve from ape-like creatures, and somebody says, well, you accept evolution. Why am I sitting in need of a Savior? What's, you know, what's the problem? How do you answer that? Because the world's been horribly broken for millions of years. If God used evolution, you've got millions of years of animals ripping each other up in death and suffering and carnage. I mean, what an incompetent God that would be that would take him millions of years to accomplish his purposes. You know, the God I serve created things like that. He didn't, it was no trial and error. He created like that. He created the original kinds. He created Adam and Eve, just like that, with, just, with an afterthought almost. It didn't take him millions of years of trial and error. It was a perfect creation. But if evolution's true, why are we sinners in need of a Savior? You've got to disconnect. Let me show you how this works. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching. Now, when Peter preached, when he was preaching in Acts chapter 2, Did many people come to Christ? Was he successful? You bet he was. He was very successful. Who was he preaching to? Jews. Did the Jews have a clue? Sort of. I'll give them half credit. This is what I mean. The Jews had a clue because they at least recognized God, recognized and acknowledged God as creator. He's the one who created all things. Man's sin brought death and corrupted the world. They were sinners in need of a savior. They were looking forward to the Messiah. After that's where they didn't really have a clue. Before that, at least they had a basis to understand the message. So when Peter preached, many came to Christ. What's the problem? They at least had a biblical basis. They had a foundation to understand the message. They knew they were sinners. They knew they needed a savior. They looked forward to the Messiah. Let me show you how this works. John chapter four, verse 25 and 26. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Who is this woman? Samaritan woman. She was president of the local PTA, right? No? She baked cookies for the Girl Scouts? No. 
Is it safe to say that this woman had some significant issues in her life? I'm trying to be gracious here. This woman was not in an admirable or favorable spiritual circumstance or condition, right? Fair? Look what she said. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. How did she know that? I don't think she was hanging out at the synagogue every week. How did she know that? Whether her family or she learned it from just growing up in that culture, she had a basis to at least under it. She acknowledged that I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he's going to tell us all things. Even in that condition, she understood that. Look what she said later. Come see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? You see, the Jews at least had a basis to understand the message. So let's move on. Let's go to Acts 17. Paul's preaching. Now, when Paul preached, was he very successful? Did many come to Christ? No. Who is he preaching to? The Greeks, right? Did they have a clue? Not a single one. You know what we say back home? Those Greeks, bless their heart. And that's the bottom of the barrel, you know, in a southerner. When when you get to bless their heart, you know that's just the bottom of the pit. Those Greeks, bless their heart. They didn't have the first clue. Hey, your name's Paul. Outstanding. Hey, guys, come over here. This guy's name Paul. He's going to tell us about a God. You're going to tell us about your God? Hang on. The guys are coming. He's going to tell us. Yeah, come on. He's going to tell us. Come Stop that. Come on. He's going to tell us about this God. Okay, you're going to tell us about this God. While the guys are coming. Now, this is where we keep our gods over here. we got this rack of gods. Now, do you want your God on this shelf or this shelf? Is this okay? Move, can you put him right here? Okay, guys, come on over. He's going to tell us about this God. We're going to put your God right there. Tell, okay, we're ready? Okay, tell us about this God. Tickle our ears. We want to hear about your God. You know what Paul said? Uh-uh. Wrong. We're not talking about one of your pantheon. We're talking about the true creator God, the one who created all things. You see, the, the, the disconnect, if you will, the difference between Peter's preaching and Paul's preaching was Paul was preaching to people who had no basis to understand the message. They didn't have a clue. I was at a seminary a couple of years ago. And I was talking to one of the teachers or professors there, and he said, Tommy, you know something? He said, Paul got it wrong. And I said, excuse me, I think I just had a mini stroke there. Um, I, I, I hesitate to ask you this again, but would you repeat that? He said, Paul got it wrong. Now, you know what I did at that point? I went, because I didn't want to get hit by the lightning bolt. Okay? Now, I knew God wasn't going to hit me and miss. I just didn't want to be in the splash zone because my wife gets upset if I get stuff on my tie. I had one of these seminary hotshots looked at me in the eye and seriously said, Paul got it wrong. Now, I know Paul was a man with feet of clay. He had his shortcomings. But I'm thinking, me and the best 27 people I've ever known wouldn't fit in that man's shadow. And this seminary guy was telling me that Paul, I said, sir, what are you talking about? And I left off the part where obviously you don't know. But nonetheless, he said, Paul just went about it wrong. He said, Paul should have preached like Peter. Peter preached with boldness. He preached Christ crucified. He was bold. Look at all the people that came to Christ when Peter preached. Paul got it wrong. He wasted his time on all that intellectual stuff. Paul got it, you know, Peter preached the right way. He was bold. Paul got it wrong. Folks, Paul not only got it right, he got it really right. You know why? He had a much harder job. 
He had to build and lay the foundation first before those people would get it. And that's the exact correlation in our world today. This is the church in this day and age. Well, this is why we've always spread the gospel. It's getting worse. Well, what's the problem? The problem is the church has become like the world. And again, when I say church, I don't mean this church. I mean church in a global sense. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But the church has been evolutionized. So many people in the church accept evolution. They don't acknowledge God as creator. They don't accept that God's the one who created all things. I mean, I'm not sure about the characteristics of the God they worship. And remember, I was an evolutionist for a lot of years. I didn't get, I I didn't see the disconnect. But if God's not who he claims to be, how do you go out and witness? How do you evangelize? Hey, you're a sinner in need of a savior. Really? Why am I a sinner? Uh, I read it in a book somewhere. Really? What book is that? Uh, I read it in the Bible. I don't believe the Bible. That's a book of myths, fables, fairy tales. Yeah, but it said Jesus died for your sins. It also said God created in six days, and you don't even believe that. Where's it in? If God's not who he claims to be, how do you go out and tell somebody you're in need of a savior? There's a disconnect. See, there was a time that our nation at least had a biblical foundation. Certainly not everybody in our nation had been Christian. I don't expect to say that. But I'll tell you this. When I was in the third grade, the first Bible I ever had in my hand was given to me by the superintendent of our local Department of Public Education, our local school district. Now, if a public school superintendent does that today, they take him off. The SWAT team takes him away. But no, the first Bible I ever had in my hand was given to me in my third grade class by the superintendent of our public schools. And even at that time, see, I wasn't a Christian at that time. I mean, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I'd, I'd been to church twice my whole life. But at that point in my life, I was in the third grade. I had no theological understanding. If you just said to me, Tommy, that was sinful. You know what I would have done? Oh, I'm sorry. I had no theological idea what that meant. I just knew sin was bad. You see, back in the day, if you want to put it that way, at least people in our nation acknowledged that the Bible, you know, the biblical morality was 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 preeminent and that, you know, it was trustworthy. It was reliable. There was a basis to understand that message in the last 50 years has totally changed. Our culture is no longer like the Jews. When I say Jews, I mean a culture that has a biblical foundation. We're more like the Greeks have absolutely no clue. You know who else doesn't have a clue? Church. Because the church has fundamentally changed. The church has been evolutionized. The church no longer recognizes God as creator. God is the one who created all things. Then you go out into the world and try to evangelize and they go, hey, you bring me a book of myths, fables, fairy tales and tell me I'm a sinner. What's that about? There's a disconnect. The church no longer has understanding of the times. What I'm going to ask you And this is direct. I want you to think about it. I'm not expecting you to answer out loud. But what I'm going to ask you is this. Can you tell me about the God you worship? Can you give me the attributes, the characteristics of the God you worship? Is he the one who created all things or is he the God of evolution? This inept God who took four and a half billion years of random processes and catastrophes and animals ripping each other up to achieve his purposes. Billions of years of carnage, 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 carnage to achieve his purposes. Guess what? The God I serve, that's how long it took. The God I serve, the God I worship is the one who created all things. So, Tommy, you're going to stand there, you know, I know you've said it all weekend. You're going to stand there and tell me Genesis is real history. Forget what I think. You know who said Genesis was history? Jesus did. Matthew 19, 4. He answered and said unto them, have you not read? 
He which made them at the beginning made them male and female. What book do you read about the beginning in? Genesis. He made them male and female after billions of years, right? That's what evolution would have us. See, male and female wasn't something. That was much later in the evolutionary process. No, God, Jesus said they were male and female from the beginning. God's word tells us they were male and female from the beginning. In one verse, Jesus Christ said evolution can't be true. My word's true from the very first verse. You know what most Christians do? That's what he said, but that's not what he meant. For 15 years of my life, regularly I tripped over this verse. Well, I know what it says, but it's allegory. That's what he said, but it's really not what he meant. That's what he meant because that's what he directly said. My word's true from the very first verse. John 5, 46 and 47. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? What do we give Moses credit for being the author of, you know, from an earthly standpoint? First five books of the Bible, first of which is? Jesus said, if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Jesus referred to Genesis as historical narrative on multiple occasions. If Jesus Christ says it's true, that settles it. And because Genesis 1-1 is true, because I know the God I worship and serve is, the, is who he claims to be, the creator, the one who created all things, I can rely on Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And folks, I really enjoy talking about things like DNA and the ark and the flood and carbon-14 and dinosaurs and genetics and all the things we have to deal with because they do have a place. Those things are important. We want to equip Christians to have sound biblical scientific answers. We want to teach them and encourage them to stand boldly on the word of God. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what it's about, it's about winning the loss to Jesus Christ. It is about the cross of Calvary.